All right, let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this blessing of being here this morning as family in a unity that is supernaturally charged, energized, Father, by you personally. May we be encouraged by it always. The fact that you have set aside this time for us and this place and this building even to fellowship this way, to break bread. Father, we pray for those that can't be with us from this congregation that earnestly desire to be here, but for whatever reason can't be. We pray also for those in this world that are still lost without hope, that they receive saving faith before it's too late. We are most grateful and thankful, of course, for your son's work on the cross to cancel out that debt and to make a morning of rejoicing like this even possible. What an incredible privilege it is, Father. We do just ask for your blessings on this morning's message. May it be edifying for our souls. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Part 51, Proverbs 17, Wisdom. Uh, let's do something we haven't done in a while and read the verses we've covered to date in our primary course of study. Go to Proverbs 17.1. <clears throat> Proverbs 17.1. We'll have a run-up this time. Leave a little runway behind us before we get to verse 6, which is where we've been sort of perched. Proverbs 17, verse 1. And some of this should bring back, you know, really good memories of where we've been so far. I'll have to look. Uh, obviously, 51 parts, so that's quite a bit. Um, but I can't remember the date because we've had some specials in between. We've been on this, you know, this passage for months now. So... Proverbs 17.1, better is a dry morsel with quiet than a house full of feasting with strife. Remember, we talked an awful lot about wealth in that context. A servant who deals wisely will rule over a son who acts shamefully and will share the inheritance as one of the brothers. The crucible is for silver and the furnace is for gold. The Lord tests hearts. We took a, quite a long pause there. The Lord tests hearts. Uh, it doesn't matter what comes out of your mouth. That's what's in your heart because God sees the heart. And evildoer listens to wicked lips, and a liar gives ear to mischievous tongue. Whoever mocks the poor insults his maker. He who is glad at calamity will not go unpunished. We spent a lot of time on that as well. And then here we are with grandchildren are the crown of the aged, and the glory of children is their fathers. And so we've been perched on this particular verse for some time now and then this principle up here on the board is our recurring principle to keep us grounded as to what the spirit's really trying to drive home on marriage and family we believers are held to a higher standard and it's funny because every time I write a, a new message this principle grows one more sentence I don't know if you've noticed that <laughs> but it used to be we believers are held to a higher standard and then I think it was on Thursday he added, and remember, man does not set the bar. And then this morning he added, at the head of each family, God has given authority to a man. 
So this is what has been coming from this pulpit. We believers are held to a higher standard. Man does not set the bar. That we must remember. And God has given authority, delegated authority, His authority. It's not like, you know, hey, you're an authority, do as you wish. No, He says, this is my authority given to you as the man in the marriage and over the family. So knowing that from Holy Scripture, knowing it's true, and then, you know, abiding in it, this can be the source of much persecution nowadays. I mean, if I was to, you know, rent some billboard space in Times Square and put that principle in Times Square, what would happen? <laughs> right? Besides hate mail and death threats and, you know, anti-whatever sentiments, I'd be a, a marked man. But the truth is, since it's not my wisdom, Jesus is the marked man. He was mocked during his time, and they hung him, and they killed him. That's what happens, right, when you stand up for truth. And so if you stand up for truth like this, you will be persecuted. Uh, and the implications of this truth are broad. And if you're paying attention, if you've been around for a while, they are increasingly profound. I mean, if we said this 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, there might have been a group of people that were like, you know, it's mainstream now to be against this truth. Somehow we've become the minority, even in our so-called great country, right? So the implications of this are broad and increasingly profound. And I was thinking about it, you know, what, what does that mean? What's something we all can relate to? Um, I think about public offices and how constrained they are nowadays. Public offices, offices that are supposed to support us, you know, serve us. I mean, we pay their salaries so that they can support us, pass laws that are good for us. Well, in our world, that's good for us. And it used to be that they would pass things that look somewhat something like that. But not anymore. They're very much constrained. And, you know, not to be disrespectful of our own president, I wouldn't want to do that. For God has ordained, you know, his being elected to office. But the big white elephant in the room is that our choices seem pretty limited nowadays. I mean, that's what we're left with. Um, it seems our best and brightest people that would probably be the greatest leaders we could ever possibly ask for, they don't even want to run for a public office anymore. They don't want to run for public office. In some ways, you can't blame them. Why? Well, maybe because if you stand up for anything biblical, you're torn to shreds. You're torn to shreds. Not to mention that you'll never get the popular vote anymore anyways. So you're almost wasting your time. In other words, if you stand up for what the world calls, you know, conservative Christian or just conservative politics, you are pretty much out of the running before you even throw your hat into the ring. So our options 
as members of this society that we live in, they're limited. We get people put before us, well, who do you want? And I'm like, nobody. None of the above. Is there like a D? Remember when you take the circle test? D. None of the above. <laughs> right? Can I, is that an option? Can we like rerun this? Can we get some better candidates up in here? I don't know. Somebody that is even remotely close to that? I don't know. So our options are limited. And again, you know, we chuckle, but I say all of that with the deepest respect for the office of the President of the United States. I do. But I'm a realist, right? I'm not throwing stones. I still respect the office and the man that God put there because that's the right thing to do and that's what the Bible says to do. But the truth is the truth. If, they, if someone's misaligned with Holy Scripture, then they're misaligned with Holy Scripture. If their policies reflect things that are ungodly, then their policies reflect things that are ungodly. And I'm going to say, that's ungodly. And when he makes ungodly decisions that I have to follow as part of the law, then I will follow them. I'm not going to lie and say I agree with them, but I will follow them. Because that's what the Lord tells me to do in Holy Scripture. And that's where a lot of people get messed up and they're miserable for it and they can't sleep at night. And it's like, what are you so miserable about? God's got everything under control last time I checked. Again, abiding in the point on the board will be the cause of persecution in this world. Again, on marriage and family, we believers are held to a higher standard. Remember, man does not set the bar. At the head of each family, God has given authority to a man. So this is a very unpopular statement nowadays in mainstream America, which, I mean, if you haven't figured it out yet, is often led by the media. I mean, if you think about, you know, if, if America was a beast of burden, right, it would have a ring through its nose and the media would be dragging it around. <laughs> uh, it seems the media is the greatest form of news, even though it's hardly news anymore. Rather, the, uh, you know, it's sensationalism or emotionalism, whatever sells. It's whatever sells. I heard the other day that, um, and I said, yep, bingo. Social media is the new source of news in America. Yeah. Think about that for a moment. Social media is where people get all their so-called facts. Well, I was on Reddit. I was on Facebook. I was on Instagram. I was on whatever, some social network. Therefore, it's true. Right? If you know anything about social media, you know that it's all about likes. You know the little thumbs up? Everybody's like, ooh, like, 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 like. Right? And the more likes you have, the more true it must be. No, that's, that's, that's what it is. It's called popular consensus. There is no bar. There's none of this. I mean, this, is, this has never changed, not once. It, the news, the truth, is now whoever has the most likes. That becomes the truth for the day. That's news. 
That's the news. That's social media. So the proposed truth with the most likes actually becomes the truth, if that makes sense. The one with the most likes is the holder of the truth. Could this mechanism for establishing truth be any more foul? Put that into context. Could it be any more foul? Could we ask for a worse system of arriving at truth than to ask the masses of idiots? The trollers? The morons? In any case, as the Spirit pointed out on Thursday, we need encouragement at times like this because that's, that's the world we live in. And so, for us... We need encouragement because the world is just decaying right before our eyes. And things aren't really going to change for the better anytime soon. So we need to cling to the actual word of truth as our greatest form of encouragement. So with that said, let's quickly review the two passages the Spirit had us read on Thursday. And again, as we do... Let's keep an eye on how Paul uses the authority of Holy Scripture, not a like button. The authority of Holy Scripture and the divine institution of family as foundational principles throughout this passage. Go to 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 1. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 1. So Paul uses this. First Thessalonians 4, verse 1. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus Christ, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each, of, uh, each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. And obviously that includes marriage and family. Because holiness and honor, when it comes to your body, has everything to do with sexual purity. Verse 5, Not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for impurity, but in Holiness, and that has everything to do. This is where children even learn what is holiness. They learn it from their family. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. And so, in other words, Paul wrote, here's the truth of the matter. And if someone has a problem with it, it's not with you. 
it's with Holy Scripture. Okay? But, but, but this thing over here has 20,000 likes. And that Scripture you just read has two. I'm, I'm telling you, I didn't get likes. I would get likes from, you know, other Christians. If I, when I was still on Facebook, I don't go back there anymore because it's a sewer pipe. When I was still on, I would, you know, post, like, scripture or principles like this, and I'd get, like, three likes, you know, and it was just DJ doing it. You know what I mean? And then someone would say, oh, let's celebrate this homosexual football player. He's so brave. And the president would be like, oh, you know, let's hold this person up. That was Obama at the time. Let's hold this person up as a hero. A million likes. What? An abomination of the divine institution of marriage and family gets a million likes. Therefore, it becomes truth. And then Pastor Ed Collins over here, who's standing up for the truth, gets three, all from the same guy. You follow getting that? Not only that, then I would get, you know, nice little cheery comments like, you're a Nazi. You're a hater. You're intolerant. Get with the times. You call yourself a pastor? Where's the love? What happened? That's the world we live in. And what I learned as my thin or my skin thickened over time was, wait a minute, you don't have a problem with me. You have a problem with God, your creator. You just want to take it out on me because you're a wimp. Because you don't dare go head to head with God because he'll bury you. You know it. So you hide behind your little thumb likes like a bunch of idiots, a ship of fools. Up here on the board, disregards not man but God. If you stand up for the truth, expect to be persecuted. John 15, 20, if they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. Do not take it personally. This is a strategy that, I don't know, I wish I could just impress it into your soul right now because I was just having a conversation with someone even right before class. It's been in the Word of God for a long time and they still struggle with it, like taking things personally. And it's like, listen, it's not personal. It's not you. They don't like what you're doing. They don't like you because they don't like God. And you're standing up for him. So their problem is not you. So don't take it personally and be delivered. Don't take it personally. Your persecutors have a problem with God, not you. Okay? Verse 7. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards us disregards not man, but God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. So... The point of that is be encouraged. Like go, oh, you mean I can take that burden, right? The heavy burden of just being called a Nazi. <laughs> and go, hey, hey God, this one's yours. This little gift is for you. <laughs> they tried to give it to me. Had the wrong address on it. Right? This one's for you. You know? And he says, yeah, give it to me. They don't scare me. I created them. 
They're lucky I'm, I'm even gracious and merciful enough to give them a shot at salvation. But chances are a lot of them are going to rot in hell. This is exactly where they should be with that attitude towards me. You see? And then you can just rest and say, you know what? Lord, as always, you're right. I lost sight of it. I started taking it personal. I thought I was back in high school, you know, where everything's a popularity contest. But I want the likes. I want more likes. I want to post something on Facebook and have a bazillion likes. It's not going to happen if you post things about the word. You understand? It's not going to happen, not in this world. Sorry. Sorry. Your popularity goes down. If there was such a thing as a... Do they have thumbs down? I don't think so. They do? Oh, not on Facebook, though. Oh, YouTube. All right, yeah. So, yeah, yeah, YouTube. You want some thumbs down? Stand up for the truth. It's going to be like... <laughs> You're not going to be popular. You're going to prove yourself very unpopular. But who are you doing this for? Are you doing it for you? Because you're back in high school days? Or are you doing it for God? Who are you doing it for? Whose race are you running anyways? Yours or God's? Hmm. So we have the scripture. It's so encouraging. Be encouraged. Don't allow the arrogance of others, even if you're showing them Christ's love, to extinguish your fervor for him. Don't allow their venom to poison your good intentions. You do as Jesus commanded. Love. That's it. You keep on loving. Just a little sidebar here. I want to show you the dynamics of this thing called love. Just as a fresh, you know, like a refresher course. What do you mean? What do you mean, just love? It sounds so simple. Why does it not work for me? Well, maybe you don't yet understand it. Maybe you're still learning. It's like the blog I wrote, right? Wisdom and love have to come hand in hand or else it doesn't work. You know what I mean? So I want to show you the dynamics of love, specifically how if you obey Jesus' command to love others, no matter what, and that's objective love, not subjective, well, that person's really hard to love because they're a jackass. That's subjective love. If you love others the way he loved, because of who he was, and that's the command, you will have the incredible privilege of continuing to abide in this love. That's the dynamic of it. If you love that way and you keep loving that way, you get to abide in it. You get to take a, a nice long seat in this thing called love. So the encouragement to the person who truly desires to abide in Christ's love in the sphere of it, however you'd like to think about it, right? God's sphere is to obey Christ's command to love one another. Let's see this for ourselves in Holy Scripture. Go to John 15 verse 9. John 15 verse 9. I mean, at some point, and I'm sure everyone at some point has, has experienced this in their lives, abiding in love is a, is a state of being. Like, you don't even have to have an, an object in view. You don't even have to have another person in view or another thing in view. You can just be like, I'm in love. 
the average person is going to go, well, can you finish the sentence? Like, with who? With what? No. I don't have to finish the sentence. With Christ's love, all I have to say is, I'm in love. And, you know, the average person goes, and you're saying, that's what Christ's love is. I'm in love. I'm in love. Doesn't matter what the object is. I can express it to whatever person or object I feel like it at any given point in time. Circumstances dictate. But that's the beauty of Christ's love. You can literally just say, I'm in love. People are like, oh, good for you. Who is it? It's nobody. What? You, you local. Right? That's what they would say, amen? Uh, you, you walk up and say, you know what? I'm having the best day. Why? I'm in love. Oh, good for you, sweetie. Oh, who is it? Nobody. Right? And the truth is that that is the truth. That's what abiding love looks like. And you can express it to a bazillion people, and it's never affected. It's never rattled. It's never robbed from you. You get to be in love just because of the gifts that God has given you as one of his own children. John 15, 9, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. That's that abiding I literally just described. Abide in my love. Be in love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Oh, so here we have the secret to success. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. You want to abide in my love? He says it right here. Follow my commandments, you will abide in my love. What is the commandment then? And he even makes it singular. You want the secret? Verse 12. This is my commandment. You want to abide in my love? This is my commandment. You ready? You love one another as I have loved you. In other words, be in love. Abide in it. Stay there. Stick there. Abide there. Greater love is no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. That, I mean, he just described, you understand? He just described the sphere of love. He said, this is what being in love is. And guess what? You ready? You ready, ladies? You ready, romance novel readers? There's no Fabio in view. There's no dude on a, you know, some horse that rides up and says, get up here, girl. Right? I don't know if they still do If That's even, you know, John Wayne is probably like nowhere, in, you know, it's probably some hairless weasel looking dude, right, with long hair and tattoos and all that garbage. No, no offense with people who have got, now, oh, God, I have tattoos. Shut up. Right? You know what I'm saying, right? This weasley looking metrosexual candy. Uh, yeah, that's love. Good luck with that, ladies. Good luck. We'll see where that ends when he's on to the next rag that he discards when he's done. You, you following me? Right? That's not love. That's not in love. That's lust. And that's what Satan uses. 
That's not being in love. Be, there's not, that has nothing to do with what Jesus just described here. Literally nothing to do with what he just described. Being in love doesn't even involve another person. Being in love, abiding in love, has to do with you. It's all here. So that's the dynamic. Right? You, want, you want that kind of love, that impenetrable love, that love that just lasts forever and ever? You know, it is eternal love. That, that kind of love? Abide in his commandments. There you go. Again, concentrate. If you obey Jesus' command to love others no matter what, that is objective love, you will have the incredible privilege of continuing to abide in this love. So you have this God-given right to be supremely encouraged by this. Because the Word of God just took everybody else out of the equation, right? What do we complain about the most when it comes to love? Oh, others. Everybody's just such a pain. Everybody's such a PIA, right? Well, we just read in Holy Scripture that it has nothing to do with others. So you can sever that from your mode of thinking. You can sever that all out and say, wait a minute, you mean I can be, I can abide in love? I can be in true love without anybody else in view other than Christ, let's say? Yep. I want that. I want, I want that. That's what I want. And that's what God says. It's true. That's what you want. And I'm going to send my spirit and I'm going to send pastors like this one to help you get there. To help illuminate this in your own soul so you can be set free. Because that's what the truth does. I'm teaching the truth. We just read Jesus Christ's own words. He is the very manifestation of grace and truth, says Holy Scripture. So I'm going to say it behooves us to listen. Because it's that truth that sets us free. Not a romance novel. Not some delusion about marriage and family. So, what do we conclude? No matter what, you just keep on loving. And God will take care of those who receive your love. You don't even worry about how it's received, strictly speaking. You just keep on doing your thing. You just keep on being in love. That kind of love, that genuine in love, is infectious. It's very attractive, by the way, too. So you're going to have people that don't like you very much try to steal it from you. Satan's going to send in Fabio on a horse to try to rob you of it so you live a life of regrets. You, you follow what I'm saying? And scar tissue and all that stuff you're dealing with, some of you. All that kind of stuff. Because Satan's really smart and he's ahead of you. He's like, i got to get to this one before they fall in love with Christ and then they abide in love forever and ever and they become untouchable. Let's get to them now. Anybody? You know exactly what I'm talking about, especially if you've been around for a little while. You just keep on loving and God will take care of the rest. Stated differently, love because of who you are, not because who others are. Not a new topic from this pulpit. Love because of who you are, 
not because of who others are. If you love this way, you've now become unshakable. That's the beauty of it. When you take out all the other variables except the one that is you, not this person, that person, not A, B, C, D, you know, just you. Take out all those other variables, you're unshakable. As long as you abide in love, it doesn't matter what the rest of the world is doing, even if they persist in attacking you, like we started off with this morning. So you become unshakable. In fact, the only thing that can shake you out of this wonderful estate is if you lose your faith in God's word. That's what removes you from abiding love, from being in love. It's when you allow yourself personally to be shaken out of that estate. To, you know, and that's typically, if we were to be technical about it, it's when you stop following his commands. Because Jesus Christ said, if you keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love. Amen? So how do you get ejected from that sphere that's totally unshakable from everybody else? Disobey him. Literally. That's the way to do it. Otherwise, you're in great shape. <laughs> you just keep reading your Bible, abiding in his commandments, grow in the grace and knowledge of God, and you will be protected. God promises to protect you that way. You'll be unshakable. It's beautiful. You'll be set free. Everybody else is like, oh my God. And you're like, boo doo doo And you are in love. I don't know about you, but that sounds really good. Just saying. It has nothing to do with others. Again, the only thing that can shake you out of this wonderful estate is if you lose your faith in God's word. Stated differently, whether or not you enjoy the blessing of abiding in Christ's love has nothing to do with others. Others are only the recipients. I was just thinking about the sun, you know, in the sky. Does the sun really care if you get burned? It just keeps on shining, right? That's you. You just keep on doing your thing. If someone gets burned by it or someone gets a nice, lovely tan, just someone's like happy because it's on their face. You know, like how I did that? Just kidding. That was, that was creepy. <laughs> right? It doesn't matter. The sun doesn't care, right? You shouldn't care. You just love. You, let, you just beam it. Some people are going to receive it warmly. Some people are going to get burned. You just do it. You just keep on loving. It has nothing to do with others. Others are only the recipients, but you don't have any control over how others actually receive Christ-like love, do you? No, you just don't. You could be the nicest, sweetest, most loving person in human history, and somebody's going to have a problem with you because they don't like your face. Or they don't like the fact that you really are in love. They have a problem with the fact that you're in love and they're not. You know what kind of people I'm talking about. You know, the facades. The ones who want to try to tell you that they're way more in love than you are. You know those ones, right? But they're just insecure little, I don't know, babies. They're typically the first ones to attack you. Right? Anyways, I digress. I'll say it once again, love. Make that your primary focus and be free. Just love. 
Paul understood this intimately up here on the board, 2 Corinthians 12, 15. I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. He says, I'm just going to leave it all out there. I'm just going to shine forth, baby. And he says, if I love you more, am I to be loved less? I guess so. But I'm not going to stop being who I am. Because he understood being who he was was to be in love. He says, all I want to know is Christ and him crucified. I'm in love here. Right? You're not going to take that from me. I will, I will keep spending... I will put myself out there and put myself out there and put myself out there. And if you love me less because of it, that's between you and the Lord. But I'm not going to be derailed by your dysfunction. Up here on the board, Galatians 4.16. Have I I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? I guess so. I guess so. But it's not going to stop me going to keep on doing this thing your response to my love is not going to slow me down so let's review the other passage of scripture the spirit gave us on thursday for the sake of encouragement again the point he's driving home here is that authority of the word is prevalent it's the authority of the word that we cling to that's where we get our source of truth That's the unshakable foundation. That was the primary point. And then taking that and applying that within the context of our primary course of study, which has to do with marriage and family, family predominantly. And while expressing these truths may get you in, you know, hot water in this world, the truth is that they are God's viewpoint. They are divine viewpoint. They are God's viewpoint. doesn't matter if the truth gets you in trouble, quote, persecuted. Whether or not you believe the truth, it doesn't change the truth. That's an old principle from years ago. Whether or not you accept the truth, that never changes it. It's still the truth. Whether or not someone accepts who you are in Christ Jesus, it doesn't change the fact that you are who you are in Christ Jesus. Whether accept the fact that, oh, I don't believe it. You're not in love. You're just delusional. You can think whatever you want. But I know what I know. So stop trying to derail me, little Miss Insecurity. Because it's God's viewpoint that matters. And he's telling me I have a right to be in love. We don't get his viewpoint from social media, the so-called modern news. We don't get the truth from Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, or I don't know, what, else, what other social things are there? You know, Twitter, right? We don't get the truth from those things. We get them from the Word of God. We have the timeless, eternal truth right in front of us. We don't need social media. We don't need to test if we know what we're talking about. Because that's all that is, right? That's why every new poor kid in this world is so insecure. The new way to figure out if you're worthy is to test. Put your own thoughts out there publicly and go, Oh, I'll put this out here. Oh, 
Here's my best picture. Right? And people are like, boo, boo, boo. Next thing, that girl like, wants to commit suicide. Because she put all her stakes, she put herself out there, vulnerable, right, in her words. Put myself out there, nobody liked me. The truth is, I'm unworthy because I don't have a bunch of thumbs up. Meanwhile, some plastic silicone doll is out there with 50,000 likes. Who's probably going to rot in hell. Because that's their God. Themselves. You follow them getting at people? That's what we're up against. That's, that's the disgustingness of this world that we live in. But we have the timeless, eternal truth in Holy Scripture. Go to 2 Peter 1.19. 2 Peter 1.19 Happy Sunday morning. All right? 2 Peter 1.19. Hey, listen, folks. This fight is real. You don't call, you want to you want to look, you want to go get stroked down the you know, go you want to get your head padded and your, your ego stroke, go down the street. Just look for the very tallest steeple. Right? And you'll get the three baskets in front of you during a 20-minute service. So just make sure you show up with a little cash, too. Just saying. You want that? Go down the street. You want truth? You come here. Amen? There you go. All right, 2 Peter 1.19. If you guys weren't so wretched, you could enjoy this a little bit more. I'm just kidding. <laughs> 2 Peter 1.19. And we have the prophetic word. We might call that Bible doctrine, you know, truth, truth that sets you free more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. You understand? This is not man's viewpoint. This is God's viewpoint. End of story. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. In other words, God is the author. Men might have picked up a pen, so to speak. Not that there were pens back then, the way we understand them. But you get the point. God is the author. And so you have to say, all right, let me apply it to my own life then. In the context of being persecuted, in the context of needing this encouragement. Did you personally write the Bible? then why would you take personal responsibility for it? In other words, all right, so, all right, so uh, I don't know, cops show up, they drag you out of your house, they take you down to the local church, and it says Bubba was here in spray paint on the church. And they go, I hear your nickname's Bubba. Well, I didn't write that. Would you take responsibility for something you didn't write? Would you? No, of course not. And why would you take responsibility for something that was, you didn't write in the, called the Bible? Why would you take responsibility for something you did not author? Why would you ever do that thing? Unless you're a plagiarist, which is, makes, you, makes you gross, but that's a different story. Why would you take personal responsibility for the Bible? You didn't write it. 
You didn't write it. Did you take responsibility for the Declaration of Independence? You didn't write it. Why would you take responsibility personally for the Bible, allowing others to berate you for simply repeating what it says? That's all you did. Is it, is it wrong to repeat what the Bible says? No. If you repeat it and someone persecutes you for repeating said truth, is it any more your truth? No. You didn't even write it. You're not even the author of it. So why take responsibility for it? It's just a strategy you can use to say, I deflect that fiery dart. Verse 21, For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. But false prophets, in other words, false teachers teaching false doctrines, also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. We should never be shocked. That there are people standing behind pulpits right now, presumably, that are false teachers. It's that simple. S Satan has no scruples. <laughs> right? Who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction, and many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. Now, here's the dangerous soft point that Peter's making. He's like, many will follow them. And because of them, the, the ones that are following false doctrines, the way of truth will be blasphemed. How many, how many, how many religious people do you know? I almost said one particular religion, religion, but it doesn't matter. I don't want to make it about that religion. Uh, how many religious people do you know have a disdain for God? Because they figured out that the religion that called itself Christian was bogus. And now they're floating around the world going, Christianity is bogus. I went, you know, I went for 10 years to such and such a religion, and it was, I mean, come on. Right? Come on. It's, it, it doesn't even make sense. It doesn't even follow the Bible. I don't know what the heck they're talking about at the time. The Christianity things, it's just, you know, it's no good. Satan's not dumb. So think about this. Possibly the greatest destructive force to marriage and therefore families, arguably, is sexual sins. What Peter's bringing to light here is something that I'm confident we can all easily relate to. Peter's essentially pointing out that there are those in so-called Christian churches, even so-called pastors, that are led by their human fleshes. And because they raise the cross of Jesus above their church, and they profess to be his disciples, those non-members of that church, people from the outside looking in, they see the cross, they say, oh, it's a Christian church. Let me look in the inside. What's going on here? What? Even I know better than that's not, I mean, that can't be right. That can't be Christ. So they mock them. Those people see the fruit from that evil tree, and they say, see, I have a reason to mock them, and therefore, since they represent that cross, I have a reason to mock Christ's good name. Not hard to see connected tissue, right? 
That's the danger of it. Look at verse 2 again. He says, And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. False prophets, in other words, false teachers, are very damaging to the faith because then they turn around and have disciples, etc., etc. And the, that false doctrine propagates outward. Why are they so damaging? Because while supposedly representing Christ, their actions defile his good name. I was thinking of a good analogy. DJ, you'll love this. <clears throat> so you have a thriving contractor business, right? Ask Todd how long it took him to build up a good name. It takes a long time. You have to do a lot of like silly jobs and jobs that nobody else wants, and eventually you earn the trust of the community. It's, you know, a good contract is hard to find. So let's just say you're, you know, you're doing well. Um, you have a thriving contractor business. And a guy in the next town over hears about your good name in the community. And without your permission, he decides he's going to create some business cards and lawn signs for himself, but with the name of your business on them. And he starts to get business as a result because people have heard of your good name. However, unlike you, this person does shoddy work. So eventually word gets around that your business cannot be trusted to do good work. Your good name is soiled while this other phony reaps whatever he can from it. That's what Pete is describing here in a nutshell. Verse 2, look at it. He says, Money will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of the truth will be blasphemed. Someone's robbing Christ's good name and using it for personal gain. And eventually, Christ himself gets mocked. So, the word of truth must be the foundation of our ministries, whether it's, you know, larger like a North Christian church where there's a pastor, or your own personal ministries. Everybody in here has a ministry. Everybody in here has a virtual pulpit, so to speak. Everybody in here represents Christ, has the opportunity to represent Christ in your life. And so you better not damage him. You better not damage his good name. That's the point. Because if you don't abide in truth, if you're one of those morons on social media who's agreeing, who's thumbing up ungodliness, you're damaging his good name. Because everybody in the community knows you. And you call yourself a Christian. And you're out there what? Joining the fray. See? The word of truth has got to be the foundation of our ministries. Otherwise, we risk damaging the good name of Jesus Christ. So, to circle back, we have to be encouraged when we abide in the truth. For that is what we are called to do. And as I asked on Thursday, where is this more prevalent right now than in the areas of marriage and family? Where does this come to a, you know, Ahead, where is this like, you know, you know, you think of big wars being fought, and then there's those key battles, 
you know, and all you hear is ching, 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 ching. You know, where is this? Where is the boom? Where are these things coming together in a greater fashion than with marriage and family right now? It is one of the biggest battlefronts right now that we're, that's right upon us. And so we have to defend the truth of it. Can't say, oh, okay, it's okay. Gay marriage, transgenderism, uh, you know, two mummies, two daddies, uh, you know, whatever. Parents encouraging their, what, kids that are not even teenagers yet to be transgender and then getting angry when you say, um, God didn't make, God doesn't make mistakes, just saying. They were born a little boy, guess what? They're a little boy. You're going to get persecuted. You will get thumbs down for that. So what's more, honestly, think about it. What's more prevalent right now as a, as a conflict, a point, a tip of the spear, right? What's, what's closer to the tip of the spear than marriage and family right now in our own country? I don't know. I don't know. I struggle to find something that's more under attack, to be honest. So we have this option. We have to simply abide in the truth and then defend it whenever necessary and leave the false teachers and those so-called, you know, so-called Christians who misrepresent God's word. We've got to leave that up to God. We are to remain in love. We remain in love. That's it. We express ourselves. If someone gets burned, you know, sun analogy, if someone gets burned by the expression of said love, that's between them and the Lord. But whatever you do, do not fall into their trap. Do not allow peer or social pressure to get you to compromise your integrity. For example, don't go on social media and fold like an accordion. Right? And don't join the fray. Don't be, you know, don't be giving thumbs up to stuff that's ungodly. Peter warns of this, verse 3. You're still in 2 Peter 2, right? 2 Peter 2, 3. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. You're, you're really playing the fool is what Peter's saying. You're going to get exploited. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. In other words, instead of being tripped up, be encouraged. God is never mocked. Verse 4, and this, this is that start of that really long sentence, remember? One giant complete thought. For if God did not spare angels in they sin, but cast them into hell, and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness, with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly, if by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. And if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, for as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard, then let the Lord know how to rescue, or excuse me, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials 
In other words, if he can do all of that, then he certainly knows how to do the other, which is to rescue you, a godly person, from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. So he has clearly stated scripture that we should cling to for encouragement up here in the board. The Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials. Always remember this. When circumstances seem dire, remember God's promises to you personally. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Hebrews 13.5 In other words, if he can do all the other stuff, then he can certainly save you. You abide in love. You cling to truth, to righteousness. Verse 10 And especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority. I mean, let's face it, marriage and family are completely dependent on authority orientation to God. Amen? Completely dependent. Without authority, in the family, husband over wife, parents over children, with that thing gone, there is no family structure to speak of. It becomes this like amorphous, gelatinous blob, right? And the kids are getting their truth from social media, while mom and dad are being lazy sitting on their couch and saying, oh, go play your game. Oh, here's another smartphone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, social media. It's harmless. They, they look at each other's family pictures on vacation. Yeah, that's what they're doing. Yeah, that's exactly what they're doing. They're looking at family pictures. Especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority. Marriage and family are dependent on this authority. And where is your authority, men? Where is your authority, mothers? Right here. Who gave you that authority? Men over your wife. This did. Who gave you that authority? Parents over children. This did. This is God's word. This is the word of God. God's word. He owns it. It's his. That's where we get our authority. Bold and willful. Second half of verse 10. They do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones, whereas angels, though greater in might and power, do not pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord. And even the angels you see handed over to God. You see what that's saying right there? Even the angels say, I'm going to hand you over to God. You stand to fall before God. You're your own person. I'm handing you over to, just like you're supposed to do. Right? It doesn't matter how people receive your love. You hand them over to God. Your happiness, your peace, your contentment, your love is not dependent on other people. Even the angels apparently knew this. Verse 12, But these, those of the world, like irrational animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed, blaspheming about matters of which they are ignorant, will also be destroyed in their destruction, suffering wrong as the wage of their wrongdoing. God, in other words, is not mocked. Right? So, oh, but they're getting away. Oh, go read Psalms. Right? I mean, every, every person has had those moments. Why are the rich prospering? Why are the wicked prospering? Like, why, why, why? Why are they getting away with it? They're not. That's the whole point. They're not. 
They're storing up for themselves judgment. Do you understand? God's not mocked. If that's you, even now, I'm telling you, beware. Maybe stop doing what you're doing or thinking about doing. Because you're storing up judgment for yourself. Stop it. God's never mocked. Ever. You want, you want to see a worn out person in life, at the end of life? Look at a person who does not take that as good counsel. Look at a person who mocked God their whole life and then catch them at the end of their life. Right? You see how happy they are. See how good things turned out for them. See what's going on in their soul, if they can even identify that thing anymore. See what's going on with their body. Right? Diseases. The whole nine yards. Everything. What's going on, people? You ready? No extra charge. God is not mocked. What you reap, what you sow, you will reap. Do not be deceived. <laughs> right? God's not mocked. It's, that, it's literally that simple. So when you get that, you know, that thing that we read about, I mean, many people in the Bible openly said it, you know, why are the wicked prospering? While well, I'm over here, you know, digging my ditch. <laughs> Right? Why are they like doing so well? Why are they all, woo, right? Read this week's blog. Right? A parade of fools. Look a little closer. They look the same, but the names are on a constant circular. In and out, in and out, in and out, and it's a meat grinder. Right? Gone, you're here today, gone tomorrow. And all we see is that facade. Well, like, look at it. The facade never changes. It's the world is good. The world is prospering. No, it's not. It's a meat grinder. Right? The kingdom of God says, step up. It's your 15 minutes of fame, buddy. Woo, yeah. <laughs> Misery. God is not mocked. I don't know how to stress that enough. So those are the two passages, and I'm pretty much out of time. I can't believe it. But, hey, those were the two passages we received from the Spirit on Thursday as encouragement. Here was our instigating principle up here on the board. I mean, this is where we started, so pretty much I guess this is where we're going to end. <clears throat> we believers on marriage and family, we believers are held to a higher standard. Remember, man does not set the bar at the head of each family, God has placed a man. Gentlemen, if you're married, take heed. Gentlemen, if you're married and you have children, take heed again. I'll leave you with this up here on the board. Men, protect your family. Protect your family. I mean, it's your job. Stop punting it to your wife. Stop punting it to the Internet. Stop being uh, absent in the lives of your wife and your children so that they can find their truth somewhere else, you know, like on social media. It's your job. There's no one else to blame here. It's your job. If your kid can't handle the Internet, then unplug the damn Internet. Hello? Hello? If your kid can't handle a smartphone, 
then don't get them one. Video games. I've seen them become violent. Why are they playing Grand Theft Auto at 10? Whose job is it to protect them? They start, they're too stupid to protect themselves. They're too dumb. It's your job. Protect them. Be a man. Like, literally protect them. Oh, but my kids won't like me. Show me the Bible where it says they're supposed to like you. Honest to God. Where does it say in the Bible that your kids are supposed to like you? Nowhere! It says it's your responsibility to raise them up in the faith. Either you love them or you don't. By not protecting them, that is not showing them love. And they know it. That's the kicker. Because when they grow up, they go, my parents sucked. My parents let me go out. Crap, I was 13 year old wearing miniskirts up to my crotch. Having sex that year. Because mommy and daddy weren't around. Matter of fact, mommy and daddy were hoes too. Pay attention. That's the whole point. This world sucks. Happy Sunday. I know I'm getting... Listen, we're in a fight. What do you want? This is the tip of the spear. You want some pansy? Or do you want somebody... You want a warrior? Say, let's go! What do you want, people? You want to be this little, like, metrosexual candy that the world holds up? Seriously. Go manscape somewhere else. No, I'm being serious. Like, stop it. What the hell's wrong with men nowadays? They're, they're nowhere to be found. That's what's wrong with them. They're all a bunch of little boys. Bunch of little boys. Don't even know how to wipe their own noses. Honey, can you wipe my nose? You, you follow? This is... We are in battle. Last time I checked, battle is fierce. There's carnage everywhere. You, there's no time to be a little wimp. Somebody's got to protect your family. That is the point. Men, protect your family. Do not allow people from outside your family to infiltrate it. Be vigilant, on guard, ready to ward off the wolves in sheep's clothing. Remember, attacks often come from where you least expect it. And I'll leave you with that. Psalm 55, 12 to 14. That was David's aha moment, right? David was like, man, I could have dealt with it if it was somebody else, but you sat right next to me. We had a beer together. We went outside on the lawn and smoked cigars together. Turns out that you're a bad influence on me and my family. Yes. So says God. Then get the hell out. Get off my property. Get out of my family. Out. Get the hell out. You're no friend of mine because you're no friend of God's. You're sowing discord in my family. You're sowing malcontent. You're sowing all kinds of garbage in my family. And by the way, you're a stumbling block to me because we're no good for each other. Because we get together and we become fools. Does this ring a bell for anybody? Because that's the average Sunday afternoon in America. Let's invite the boys over for a few beers. A few beers and a football game. Where's your kids? I don't know, in the basement playing GTA, Grand Theft Auto. I don't know. But 
right? Hey, don't bend over too much, sweetheart. Everybody can see your ass. With, with daddy. He certainly ain't protecting his, his girl, his little girl. He's certainly not protecting his little boy. He's too busy hanging with his dysfunctional buddies. Yay! How's that for protection? The imagery there is that person doesn't even wear a... All right, so they have a uniform, but you ever seen a soldier where they're just a complete duffel bag? Their hat's crooked, their stuff's all wrinkly, one tail's in, one tail's out, right? They're back in the tent sleeping off a hangover while the real men are out in the front at the tip of the spear fighting the battle? Yeah, that's that guy. That's that guy. He's nowhere near the tip of the spear. You understand? God's trying to wake those people up, shake them out of bed. Why did you join the army in the first place? Why did you, why did you, why did you marry that woman? Why did you marry her? Why did, you, why did you decide to have children? Why? Wake up. Amen? All right, let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this incredible truth that sets us free. We know that we rest in it, we abide in it. Thank you for allowing us to abide in love always, Father. Objective love, Christ-like love. Thank you, Father. We just ask for your blessings as we take the things we've learned back to the privacy of our own souls, our homes, Father. May we protect them with it. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Thank you.